0: July 7th, Acts chapter 25, verses 1 through 27. Three days after Festus arrived in Caesarea to take over his new responsibilities, he left for Jerusalem, where the leading priests and other Jewish leaders met with him and made their accusations against Paul. They asked Festus as a favor to transfer Paul to Jerusalem. Their plan was to waylay and kill him. But Festus replied that Paul was at Caesarea And he himself would be returning there soon. So he said, Those of you in authority can return with me. If Paul has done anything wrong, you can make your accusations. Eight or ten days later, he returned to Caesarea, and on the following day, Paul's trial began. On Paul's arrival in court, the Jewish leaders from Jerusalem gathered around and made many serious accusations they couldn't prove. Paul denied the charges. I am not guilty, he said. I have committed no crime against the Jewish laws, or the temple, or the Roman government. Then Festus, wanting to please the Jews, asked him, Are you willing to go to Jerusalem and stand trial before me there? But Paul replied, No, this is the official Roman court, so I ought to be tried right here. You know very well I am not guilty. If I have done something worthy of death, I DON'T REFUSE TO DIE, BUT IF I AM INNOCENT, NEITHER YOU NOR ANYONE ELSE HAS A RIGHT TO TURN ME OVER TO THESE MEN TO KILL ME, I APPEAL TO CAESAR. FESTUS CONFERRED WITH HIS ADVISORS AND THEN REPLIED, VERY WELL, YOU HAVE APPEALED TO CAESAR, AND TO CAESAR YOU SHALL GO. A FEW DAYS LATER, KING Agrippa ARRIVED WITH HIS SISTER BERNICE TO PAY THEIR RESPECTS TO FESTUS. During their stay of several days, Festus discussed Paul's case with the king. There is a prisoner here, he told him, whose case was left for me by Felix. When I was in Jerusalem, the leading priests and other Jewish leaders pressed charges against him and asked me to sentence him. Of course, I quickly pointed out to them that Roman law does not convict people without a trial. They are given an opportunity to defend themselves face to face with their accusers. When they came here for the trial, I called the case the very next day and ordered Paul brought in. But the accusations made against him weren't at all what I expected. It was something about their religion and about someone called Jesus who died, but whom Paul insists is alive. I was perplexed as to how to conduct an investigation of this kind, and I asked him whether he would be willing to stand trial on these charges in Jerusalem. But Paul appealed to the emperor, so I ordered him back to jail until I could arrange to send him to Caesar. I'd like to hear the man myself, Agrippa said, and Festus replied, You shall, tomorrow. So the next day, Agrippa and Bernice arrived at the auditorium with great pomp, accompanied by military officers and prominent men of the city. Festus ordered that Paul be brought in. Then Festus said, King Agrippa and all present, this is the man whose death is demanded by both the local Jews and by those in Jerusalem. But in my opinion, he has done nothing worthy of death. However, he appealed his case to the emperor, and I decided to send him. But what shall I write the emperor? For there is no real charge against him. So I have brought him before all of you, and especially you, King Agrippa." so that after we examine him, I might have something to write. For it doesn't seem reasonable to send a prisoner to the emperor without specifying the charges against him.
1: Now, let's talk about this for a moment, because there's something that's, that's been bothering me in the last year or so, with the uprise of so much good theology and people taking true conversion seriously, I think there's also a problem. I have so many people who come to me and they doubt the assurance of their salvation because in their scrutiny of their own repentance, they're expecting, they're almost demanding that the saving repentance be the repentance of a mature believer of 30 years. They scrutinize every aspect of their life and if they don't look like a Puritan, they say, I can't be converted. What you need to understand is repentance in its initial seed is simply a changing of the mind. God is all. I need Him. You say, that's it? can be. I can't save myself. I'm lost. I need a Savior. You say, well, but but the Bible describes repentance in so many ways. Yes, it does, but are you expecting a full-blown repentance the very second God begins to work in your heart? As I study repentance in Scripture, I look back at the moment I was converted and my repentance was a very singular thing. I need to be saved. But now after 25 years, as I grow in Scripture, the repentance matures and deepens. But you err, young person, when you scrutinize your life to wonder whether or not you're saved, and you're looking for repentance that can only be found in someone who's walked with God for for decades. I hope I'm making myself clear. I believe in repentance. But repentance can merely mean I'm falling and I can't save myself. It's turning from self-worth. It is turning from ability and giving up. As Brother Charles once told me, it's just giving up. I can't. I collapse. I'm, I'm gone. I have a thing that I've worked through several years ago on the doctrine of repentance. If you take everything the Bible teaches about repentance. You will have a very big book. Amazing things are said. and They all should be learned. We should grow into them. But to take the entire full-orb biblical course of repentance and demand it before someone can have assurance of salvation is absolutely preposterous. We have a lot of young people and a lot of other people who are not assured of their salvation because they're expecting to see in their wee years as a babe in Christ a full-blown sanctification of a man 40 years in the faith. We need to be careful. Save me! I'm lost! And even a great deal Of that clamoring salvate for salvation, don't expect it or demand it to be absolutely pure. Some of it will just simply be self-preservation. Remember, God saves men who repent, not men who repent perfectly. God saves broken-hearted people over the, even the ones who are broken-hearted over the fact that they're not broken-hearted enough. And even those who think they're broken hearted enough, when God knows they're not hardly broken hearted at all. This will add fuel to the fire to my enemies, but in, in my conversion experience, to be honest with you, sin was not the foremost thing in my mind the day I was converted the foremost thing in my mind was, He loves me. He's everywhere. He's everything. Now you say, okay. What are you saying? But, even though I was a heinous sinner, I was a horrible man. At that moment, the only only thing that was really real to me for several weeks was the love of God. But then as I began to study the Scriptures and the Holy Spirit began to work, He began to work repentance that He continues on till this day. So see, let's be careful here. You can define people out of the kingdom of God. You can demand so much of a man, of salvation, more than even what God demands at first. A simply, I can't. I can't. And then faith. Faith. We are saved by faith. Of a mustard seed. Believe. Well, how do I believe? Alright, you've already just said you can't. Now, go one step further. He can't and will and desires to can you believe that you say is that it no it's the beginning but it is real well how will I know it's real because it will keep going and growing In the same way your repentance will grow and grow and grow, your faith and the reality of it will grow and grow. But I am not going to expect from my 10 month old daughter what I expect from my six and a half year old son. Also, I want to talk about the pride. You know, I love the Puritans, you know that I love all that kind of stuff. I want to talk to you about a a root of pride I see springing up among people who embrace this kind of lovely truth. It's almost like a badge of spirituality when they will so-called struggle of whether or not they're saved. And what they're just trying to prove to people is my version of conversions not as superficial as everyone else's. I'm going to wrestle and I'm going to fight and I'm going to do all this stuff. And I don't even know if I'm saved after that. And you think you're bringing glory to God. There is a sense when some men are awakened to their sin and they must break through and they must struggle and so on and so forth. I agree with all of that. But be very careful that we're not just reacting against the superficial gospel of others. God is glorified when a heart is open and they say, I'm falling, but He can. And they stand on that. Oh, it's so glorious. You are saved by faith. But it is not, it is not the quality of this faith, the greatness of this faith. It's the quality, the greatness, and the character of one to whom you, in whom you believe.
0: Look unto Jesus.
1: Look, look. look, Just look unto Jesus. What terrifies me so much, you talk to people on the streets. Are you going to heaven? Yes, I'm going to heaven. Why? I I prayed and that's Jesus coming to my heart. Now, look what they're doing. They are trusting in a transaction they made, they are trusting in the sincerity of a prayer. But then again, we must be careful. Doctor, heal thyself. So. Because some are trusting in the magnitude of their repentance. And others are trusting in the magnitude of their faith. When what I love to hear is, I'm looking unto Him. I'm looking unto Him. And I would be terrified to take my eyes off of Him. I'm looking unto Jesus.
0: Psalm chapter 5, verses 1-12 through 12. For the choir director, a Psalm of David To be accompanied by the flute O Lord, hear me as I pray Pay attention to my groaning Listen to my cry for help, my King and my God For I will never pray to anyone but You Listen to my voice in the morning, Lord Each morning I bring my requests to You And wait expectantly O God, you take no pleasure in wickedness. You cannot tolerate the slightest sin. Therefore, the proud will not be allowed to stand in your presence, for you hate all who do evil. You will destroy those who tell lies. The Lord detests murderers and deceivers. Because of your unfailing love, I can enter your house with deepest awe I will worship at your temple. Lead me in the right path, O Lord or my enemies will conquer me, tell me clearly what to do, and show me which way to turn. My enemies cannot speak one truthful word. Their deepest desire is to destroy others. Their talk is foul, like the stench from an open grave. Their speech is filled with flattery. O God, declare them guilty. Let them be caught in their own traps. Drive them away because of their many sins. But they rebel against you. But let all who take refuge in you rejoice, and let them sing joyful praises forever. Protect them, so all who love your name may be filled with joy. For you bless the godly, O Lord, surrounding them with your shield of love. Proverbs 18, verse 19 It's harder to make amends with an offended friend than to capture a fortified city arguments separate friends like a gate locked with iron bars.